well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company, the first of 2024. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad that you are with me on the program. Hopefully you had a fantastic New Year's holiday full of uh, fun and frivolity. Managed to make it to midnight. Pretty boring, quiet evening, but uh, you know what? It was all right. I got to spend some time with the kids, got to spend some time with the wife and uh, the dogs, and it was all good. And we're going to be spending some time with Mark Walters, host of Armed American Radio, here in just a minute, talking about, uh, well, some of the big things on tap in 2024, including uh, this year's election, but also some of the uh, new litigation, some of the legislation that has headed uh, gun owners' way, both good and bad. Uh, we'll get to that. In fact, uh, you know what? Let's kick off that conversation with Mark Walters of Armed American Radio. Take a look and a listen. Mark Walters from Armed American Radio. Thank you so much for joining me. The first guest of 2024 here on Cam and Company. Oh, man. Happy New Year, Cam. You're right. This is a tradition, right? It is. You were the first guest in 2023. You're the first guest this year. And I'm just going to throw it out there from uh, from now on in years future. Uh, consider yourself an open invitation to be the first guest of the year here on the show. Consider it accepted. <laughs> awesome. So we were talking uh, before I hit the record button and you say, yeah, I'm not sure I've got a lot of positive things to say. So that's going to be my first question. What are your big concerns heading into 2024 mm. from a Second Amendment perspective? Oh, boy, how much time do we have? Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'll tell you what I, I like to I'm a I'm an eternal optimist. And I think you know that about me. Um, I, I want to see the positive in everything. Right. But 2024, and I I think you and I have had these conversations on your show before, is going to be a very pivotal, very volatile year in American history, not just American, you know, last two to five years, modern American history, but I'm talking about the history of the nation. We've got an election coming up that is or has the potential to be extremely dangerous. There is, I believe, a propensity for violence on both sides. There are factions on both sides. I think we have a Democrat administration that is baiting the other side to violence so that they can use it as an excuse. I think uh, what we're seeing on our borders, and and we we have evidence of this. Well, I'll get there in just a second. But what we're seeing on our borders is clearly intentional. You have, and here's the evidence of that, you have Democrat-run cities. For example, New York and Chicago come to mind as two of the biggest, Los Angeles uh, San Francisco, a third, but we'll focus on Chicago and New York because the Democrat mayors running those cities have been very vocal about the influx of illegal immigrants coming into their city, uh, into their respective cities. And the administration, also Democrat, is doing absolutely nothing about it. That shows me that this is intentional. Uh, so I, th- I think when you combine all of this together with an American public that is so divided right now, Boy, I tell you, I I see danger on the horizon come up on 2024, and I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong, but I, I can smell it. And I think a lot of Americans sense that, too. You know, you trust your gut instinct, right? Millions of Americans on both sides of the political spectrum, spectrum are having this gut feeling. And to me, that's not a positive thing as we head into 2024 and what is no doubt going to be the most volatile elections this country's ever faced. And our gun rights are right square in the in the target sites. Yeah, no, I mean, listen, I, I'm an eternal optimist as well. Um, but I can't and won't disagree with with anything that you said. Um, I think this is going to be this election is going to be a stress test for uh, the American electorate, the likes of which we probably haven't seen for, um, gosh, 160 years. Right. 
Uh, yeah, you're, you're, I mean, you're right in there with that time frame. Yeah, you're, you're spot <laughs> yeah. on. 150, 160 years about right. Yeah, right. And uh, you know, listen, that doesn't guarantee that uh, the aftermath of this election we're going to see a crack up of the country. But I, I, I think we're we're concerned about this in a way, Mark, that we simply haven't been in our lifetimes, right? Where we are literally having these discussions, and it doesn't sound like crazy talk. It's not, you know, conspiratorial thinking. It, it, you know, when you've got roughly half the country that hates the other half the country mm-hmm. um that i think is alone that is a a bad sign for uh this nation and then uh, you know the aftermath the ramifications of this election one way or the other i think you're right you're going to have roughly half the country um who is angry who uh is bitter who may not accept the results of the election and again I, i'm talking about whatever way it turns out yeah both know, sides that's the thing. I mean, I don't I don't think this is, you know, well, if we have if, you know, Biden wins then this happens, if Trump wins and that happens, I, I'm not sure that there's really all that much of a difference at this point um, because of the animosity on both sides. But let's let's assume just for the sake of argument <laughs> that uh, the things roughly stay the same, that the country does not fall apart. We find a way to move forward, even if it's uh, you know difficult in the aftermath of twenty twenty four. Um, you have a functional uh, a federal government. You have functional state governments. Because I think that's honestly that we're going to be living through this weird kind of almost schizophrenic reality this year where, yeah. you know, on the surface, we're going to we're going to act like things are normal. Right. That these civic institutions are functioning the way they should. And in the back of our mind, there's going to be that thought about what if this all falls apart. Yeah. Um, as we get closer uh, to the election, we'll probably talk more about what happens if it all falls apart. But uh, today, let's let's put on our eternal <laughs> optimist hats and, and pretend that uh, these problems don't exist. Um, what are some of the big issues that you see on tap for us in 2024? You've got the Supreme Court. We've had oral arguments in Rahimi. Yeah. So we know we're going to get that decision. Um, is this the year that the Supreme Court actually hears a case dealing with bans on so-called assault weapons? You think? I think I think so. And you ask a really good question. Let's look going forward by going backward, which we have to do. We are on June 23rd of this year. It is now 2024. It's hard to imagine. But on June 23rd of 2024, which is six months out, essentially, we will have our second anniversary post-Bruin. Let's take a look at what happened during that first year. You had, most of us are referring to it as a post-Bruin temper, tran- temper tantrum by the left. I'll get that out. But you look no further than what happened in New York. You look no further than what happened in California. Those are two glaring examples of the post-Bruin temper tantrum. Let's throw everything at the wall. Let's defy the Supreme Court, which is part of that first part of of what we were just talking about, the defying of the not wanting to believe or not paying attention to or ignoring our institutions. That's a very serious problem. That goes back to what we were just talking about of the fractioning of the country. But in a post-Bruin environment, I think this is the year. Now that we have that first 12 months, Cam, where some of these cases, you'd mentioned Rahimi, and there are others that are working their way through the system. Salt weapons ban in Illinois, the Supreme Court chose not to look at it. They didn't rule one way or the other, like the left likes to tell us they do, in favor of upholding New York's law, which they dismantled a portion of, or upholding Illinois' assault weapons ban. They chose not to hear the case so these could move forward. This is the year those cases move forward. And I'm very hopeful and very optimistic that this is the year we start to get some movement in the higher courts up to the Supreme Court this coming year in 2024, albeit likely latter part of the year. We might not see them accept cases until October of next year going into 2025, but I believe this is the year 
redo it. And I think the assault weapons ban is on there. I'll make a prediction now. I won't be shocked to see the Maryland assault weapons Fourth Circuit decision make it to the Supreme Court. And for those of you watching in Illinois or California, I know you have to be patient, but that case will have the desired outcome that you need in Illinois and California. So I'm, re I'm real optimistic about that. I think this is the year. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you, uh, particularly in that Fourth Circuit case, uh, Bianchi versus Brown. I mean, it's been over a year now since oral arguments were held. Um, I honestly thought that we would get a decision at some point in the latter part of the year. Um, but we don't know when that Fourth Circuit decision is coming down. But this is a case that the Supreme Court has already accepted, right? That was one of the four Correct. cases that they GVR'd after Bruins. So they granted cert, vacated lower court decisions, remanded it back down. And the Fourth Circuit panel, uh, technically, they're trying to decide, OK, do we kick this back down to U.S. District Court? Do we answer this ourselves? I think the fact that they have now waited more than a year after oral arguments, I think it cuts against the idea that they're just going to kick this back down to the lower court. I think we are going to get a substantive decision by the Fourth Circuit. The question is, where are they going to come down? Right. Are they going to uphold the ban, in which case the plaintiffs could appeal right directly to the Supreme Court? And that moves the ball forward a little bit faster. Uh, do mm -hmm. they declare the ban unconstitutional? In which case, um, uh, Anthony Brown, the attorney general of Maryland, he could appeal to the Supreme Court, but he might also decide to try to take this case on bonk, uh, keep it away right. from the Supreme Court until after the election. So I think you're right. I think that the, the um, and I think the Fourth Circuit case is probably the most likely vehicle, um, depending on when the Fourth Circuit actually issues that opinion. But I think you're right. We're also going to see I, I think this is the year that some of these challenges on sensitive places um, will get to the point where at least a trial has been held. Um, I'm a little concerned about the Ninth Circuit, the games that they play. I mean, we saw this again right. with SB2. Right. So, you know, what was it was it Christmas Eve, I think. Right. 845 p.m. Ninth Circuit releases this decision saying, all right, you know, we're here. Here's the uh, the, the the, you know, expedited schedule for us to hear this appeal. And. I don't know about you, Mark. I was not shocked at all. I was not surprised in the slightest no. uh, to no. see the Ninth Circuit say, yeah, we're going to let all of these sensitive places go into effect on January the 1st. As it moves through the system. I share your cynicism in the Ninth Circuit. I think we all do. Let's be honest. We get a great ruling from Benitez. We get a great ruling on the, on the uh, sensitive places location. Good, strong 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 page rulings that lay out in a post-ruling environment the strength of that judge's decision. And what's the first thing we think? It's going to go to an en banc panel, the Ninth Circuit, and they're going to overturn it. They're going to, you know, they're going to stay the injunction. And what happens? That's exactly what happens. So we're natural born cynics when it comes to, as we, we've often referred to as the Ninth Circus, right? Which is why we're hopeful that one of these cases gets to the Supreme Court. Sensitive, sensitive places. These are all clear violations of Bruin. It's just a matter of how much time is it going to take? If you live in California, you're just going to have to wait it out. If you live in Illinois, you're going to wait it out. If you live in New York, you're just going to have to wait it out. If you live in a fourth circuit, we're just going to have to wait it out. Meanwhile, the rest of us live in free America, sit back and watch this stuff and think, when are we going to get a ruling here? I believe this is the year, or at least we get an acceptance in the latter part of the year coming up late fall to take one of these cases that we get something at least by 2025. And I, I, I have a feeling we may see something come up in 2024. I'm, I'm hopeful of that. But yeah, my cynicism on the Ninth Circuit. I share it, you know, and you mentioned something in the previous uh, previous statements as well. As far as the courts are concerned, them waiting it out, that is part of the strategy. It is an mm -hmm. election year. What's going to happen? Look, the Democrats want to stack the court. They're slow walking these cases intentionally, and liberal-leaning judges are doing it intentionally, ruling the way they're ruling intentionally, because they know it's going to take time for it to get to a Supreme Court if it gets there as it goes through the appellate process. I mean, it's, it's all gamesmanship. Meanwhile, Americans are sitting here, their, their freedom is in the balance. 
If you live in California, you've got to run, you run the risk of using a firearm to defend yourself only to have your permit taken away and you be the, if you live in New York City and you defend your bodega with a firearm or a knife, whatever it may be, and now you're in a newly found sensitive place, you run the risk of losing your freedom as a law-abiding American. It is remarkable. And when you heard the attorney general, or I'm sorry, the and I, forgive me for not recalling his name, but the sponsor of SB2 in California, when it was, when the injunction was stayed or lifted, you had this guy saying, this is, he says, why do you need a firearm to go to the mall? If you're going to the mall, leave your firearm at home. If you're going to wherever, leave your fire at home. Why do you, that's where you need your firearm because that's where crimes occur. And the rest of us sit here and look at this and say, he, that's common sense to him. We don't understand that. Boy, there's two Americas, Cam. I, there's two Americas. There's, it's, it's entrenched. No question. Yeah, absolutely. And you're, you're right about that. I mean, I, we saw that. Uh, I think Anthony Portantino was the uh, senator's mm -hmm. name. Saw Thank this, you. I think, with Gavin Newsom, too. Right. Why do you want to bring your gun to a park? Well, to protect my kids, Gavin. Uh, that's why. Right. Um, and, well, from and, being abducted and raped. I mean, this, this is why I want this is where these things occur. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I think the mask is off, Cam. Honest people are seeing through this. Most Americans see what's happening on the border. They see what's happening in Chicago and New York and other cities that are being overrun. And they're thinking, you know, it's hard to have sympathy for these people. They scream sanctuary city and now they're being overrun. Well, what? how do they feel about what's happening to Texas, right? And the reason I mention that again is because honest people see this for what it is. They see through it. They see through Newsom's statements. I would like to think they see through Newsom's statements, and I'm hopeful that they do. I am hopeful that they do, too. Um, I, I think they're uh, – I mean, listen, I, I think that Joe Biden is going to have a, a very uphill fight this year. Um, and I know that Donald Trump said he doesn't think that Biden's going to be the ultimate nominee. We'll see. Uh, I mean, again, I think the, the just the election side of things is going to be absolutely bonkers. But, uh, you yeah. know, between the legislative, the litigation – uh, and the regulation, right? Because I think we're going to see more executive actions come from the White House as well between now and November. I don't think Joe Biden's going to be able to stay away. Um, we've got the engaged in the business rule that's uh, being finalized, but I would not be surprised to see something else come down from uh, ATF between now and November. But, you know, let's talk about the positive side of things because we have uh, sure. we have talked a lot about the negative side. And, <laughs> you know, and, and again, I mean, you talk about there being two Americas. Well, on the other side of America, the, the America that recognizes, yes, you do have a right to keep and bear arms. Yes, this is of fundamental importance. Um, we've got the opportunity, I think, to expand uh, the ranks of constitutional carry states. I feel very good about Louisiana with the election of Jeff Landry yes. as governor. North Carolina and South Carolina, uh, Mark, are, are two states that on paper should be able to get this done. You've got a Democratic governor in North Carolina, but you've got a supermajority of Republicans um, yeah. who, you know, on paper should be able to override any veto. South Carolina, you've got, you know, a pro-gun majority in both chambers, as well as a pretty good governor when it comes to the Second Amendment. But the state Senate in South Carolina has been the real hurdle for constitutional yeah. carry the past couple of years. Is this the year that we actually make progress in one or more of those states? Yeah, I think so. In fact, um, you mentioned Landry in Louisiana. I, that's a done deal. Mark down, ladies and gentlemen, Louisiana becomes state number 28. I think that's a gimme in 2024. North and South Carolina have always been very weird states. And it's interesting because I border South Carolina and North Carolina as you border North Carolina in your state. And wouldn't it be nice to see these gun laws similar? 
in all of these southern states. We, we would hope that they would be. Uh, here in the state of Georgia, for example, we could not carry, we were not reciprocal with South Carolina until just recently, a couple of years ago, when they honored Georgia's permit. Georgia no longer has a permit. So what's that going to do to South Carolina? I think you're going to see the supermajority step up to the plate. South Carolina, that would be my prediction. I would guess that South Carolina, this legislative session might very well be state number 29. And you know, other positive issues out there as well. You've probably talked with Mr. Gottlieb. I had him on, on New Year's Eve, two segments. We taped the show because it was New Year's Eve for obvious reasons. But I chuckled during his, I, I was constantly muting my microphone because I was laughing as he rolled through victory after victory after victory for 2023. And he rattled off 13 court case victories that have the left literally, and I quote him, rocking back on their heels as it should be. So there's been a lot of positive movement in 2023. We just don't hear a lot about it because mainstream media doesn't want to highlight the positives. They want to stay with the negatives. You can Google gun control right now, and you're going to see stories about Maine and still wanting more gun control. You're going to see stories about quote unquote numbers of mass shootings as quoted by the gun violence archives. Apologize, Mark. This might be my internet connection that is uh, screwing up, but uh, we lost your audio again. But uh, you know, to your point, you're right. The mainstream media is not interested in uh, covering any news that's positive for gun owners mm -hmm. or, or frankly portraying the second amendment in a positive light right i mean i wrote about this uh, last week usa today had this you know big year-long investigation into uh, gun violence and the uh, the columnist who wrote this uh, a series you know concludes that we know what the answers are and of course the answers for her were more gun control even when she's talking about you know states like california uh, that's always the answer, right? And it's not about fighting violent crime. It's really about fighting gun ownership. It's about fighting those Americans who would exercise their right to keep and bear arms, to protect their family, protect their loved ones, to protect their freedom. Um, that is, you know, they don't see it as a right. They see it as a wrong that needs mm -hmm. to be eradicated. And, and we are going to continue to, to fight that fight. But you're right. In state after state, we are seeing progress being made. In fact, I would say even in a lot of the anti-gun states, you're still seeing progress being made. That's why they're rocked back on their heels, right? Uh, that's why uh, they are reliant on the Ninth Circuit uh, and these, you know, activist judges to uh, misread or ignore the Bruin decision, because otherwise we win, right? If you just look at the text of the Second Amendment, you look at the history and tradition of the right to keep our arms in this country, and then you look at these gun control laws that are being challenged by groups like the Second Amendment Foundation, most of these cases are slam dunks unless you've got a judge that's, uh, again, willing to just completely ignore what Bruin had to say. All right. So listen, while we've got you here and I've got an Internet connection that appears to be stable for the moment, I'm going to ask you one final question. Sure thing. <laughs> um, give me a sleeper topic uh, for the year, something that isn't really on a lot of people's radar at the moment, but something that you think could emerge uh, as a big issue at some point over the next 12 months. Oh, boy. Uh, boy, I hadn't thought about it in those terms. Um, I think we're going to start to see a demise, and this is a stretch, but we're going to start start to see a demise of the effectiveness of some of the big gun control groups, the Michael Bloomberg funded groups, the Everytown for Gun Safety, the David Hoggs. And here's why, because of the victories that we're talking about wrapping up, racking up that I expect to see in 2024 and likely in 2025 as well. Those 12, 13 court victories, it's only a matter of time before those organizations begin to lose clout and Americans begin to see through the facade that these organizations have put up. Will they get a reduction in funding from Bloomberg? Absolutely not. But I do believe that their effectiveness, and let's be fair here, Cam, they have been incredibly effective with the money they've gotten from Bloomberg. They have forced us to fight in arenas we didn't think we were going to have to fight in with their level of creativity 
And by creativity, I mean, look at what Hockle's doing. Look at what Newsom is doing. They are getting more creative every single day with their attacks on our right to bear arms. But as more people like David Hogg continue to put stupid tweets out that are easily defeated by facts, the more information they continue to put out that are easily defeated by facts and victories, compound that with victories, I think we begin to see a little bit of a reduction in their effectiveness over the course of the next 12 to 18 months. I hope I'm right. I'm optimistic that that will happen. And there are some signs that that will occur. There are. I mean, you look at, uh, and I'll give you one example of this. You look at uh, that recent NBC News poll showing uh, 52% mm. of Americans live in a house where there's a firearm present. Great example. Most of the growth actually came from self-reported Democrats. Um, yeah. I think independents were pretty stagnant. Uh, Republicans ticked up, by, I think, three points. But there was like a nine-point increase among Repo uh, among Democrats who say that they live in a household where there's a firearm present. That is the base of the gun control lobby. And that is the base of the gun control lobby rejecting the ideology of the gun control groups, right? They are, they've been told for decades, oh, you're a bad person if you own a gun. Oh, you don't need a gun. Oh, you're crazy. You're paranoid. You're this, you're that, and the other thing. And more Democrats are rejecting that proposition and saying, and now listen, they're not all becoming Second Amendment activists, but they're at least rejecting the proposition that I'm less safe if I own a gun. I don't need a firearm. They are choosing to own a firearm. They are choosing to exercise this right for the first time. Um, and I hope and I expect that that will translate to some degree to some new Second Amendment activists on the left. I wish that, you know, simply buying a gun made you a 2A activist. It doesn't. Makes you a gun owner. Um, but I, I agree with you. I think that we will start to see the cracks in the uh, the base of support for these gun control groups. And it's not just that, you know, David Hogg is saying stuff that's easily refuted. It's who's going to be refuting mm -hmm. the David Hoggs of the world and the Shannon Watts. His own party. Right? It's his own party. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mark Walters, listen, buddy, I know we're going to have a lot to talk about over the course of this year. I appreciate uh, you and your steady mind and your uh, uh, rapier wit joining us on the program every time we get a chance to talk. So thank you for spending some time with us today. Happy New Year to you. And uh, let's do this again very soon. Absolutely. Happy New Year. Thank you very much, Cam. My thanks to Mark Walters for joining us on the program. Apologies for the uh, splotchy internet connection I had there. I swear, Uncle Elon, I uh, have sent my Starlink payment in on time. So please make sure my internet is stable. All right, let's uh, turn our attention now to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We will start there. An absolutely amazing story. Salt Lake Man gets probation after assaulting a woman and entering her apartment. Uh, I, 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 I was gobsmacked when I saw this headline. 31-year-old Saquon Smith was initially charged with forcible sexual abuse, burglary, and robbery, all of which are second-degree felonies, as well as aggravated kidnapping, which is a third-degree felony. But under a plea deal offered him by prosecutors, he pleaded guilty to reduced charges, including three counts of sexual battery, one count of criminal, uh, criminal trespass, all of which are Class A misdemeanors, as well as unlawful detention, a Class B misdemeanor. And he was sentenced to a year in jail. For each of the Class A misdemeanors, 180 days in jail for the Class B misdemeanor. But then, 3rd District Judge Randall Scanchi suspended the jail time in favor of 24 months probation. This happened the day after Christmas 2022. Smith approached a woman, asked her for a cigarette. She gave him one, and then he followed her, took the keys that she had in her hand, followed her to the elevator, and, quote, forced himself on her. He then went into her apartment with her. Doorbell video uh, shows Smith forcibly removing the woman from her apartment. 
When he was arrested, he claimed that he knew the woman and that he had used her phone to, uh, quote, call his bank so he could wire her $30,000 of his $90,000 savings, but she got upset. So he canceled the transfer. An investigator, however, says that an officer checked the woman's phone, found the only calls that were made were to police and to her boyfriend 21 times. Now, what makes this even more egregious, and again, this is a recidivist report, Smith has had previous running with the law. In fact, he previously served time in federal prison for child human trafficking. So you've got a guy who's been convicted of child human trafficking who is accused again of forcing this woman into her apartment, sexually assaulting her, and he gets a plea deal. You got eyewitness testimony. You got video evidence. Prosecutors haven't said why they've offered this plea deal. I, I don't know what the justification might have been. Maybe the victim was reluctant to testify. I don't know. But this is certainly a case where the punishment does not fit the crime. And Saquon Smith... Got one hell of a deal from a uh, judge in Utah for his crimes. Today's Armed Citizen story from Atlanta, Georgia, where an intruder was shot by a resident in the uh, southwest part of the city on uh, early New Year's Eve. It was about 3 a.m. on Sunday when a homeowner confronted a man who was breaking into her home. Police say the homeowner, quote, took matters into her own hands. That from uh, Fox 5 in uh, Atlanta. Uh, when the man tried to enter her bedroom, she grabbed her gun. She opened fire. She hit him in the stomach. A neighbor who asked to remain anonymous told Fox 5, you know, it's just the holidays. So we have criminals out here trying to get people's belongings. Don't know if it was a property or maybe the person that he was after, but the uh, suspected burglar was taken to a local hospital, now being held uh, behind bars. He's been charged with burglary. Authorities have yet to disclose his identity. The uh, neighbor who spoke to Fox 5 in Atlanta said it was not unusual to hear gunshots in the area, but uh, break-ins in the apartment complex are uh, rare, or the uh, the home uh, rare. She said, it just lets me know to be alert, keep an eye on my surroundings and my kids and people are trying to break into people's homes over here. Police have already concluded the homeowner will not be uh, charged. He was acting in self-defense. The circumstances surrounding the break-in do remain uh, under investigation, and uh, so far a motive has not been released. But again, thankfully, the uh, homeowner was in a position to defend herself when this stranger broke into her home, tried to get entry to her bedroom, 3 o'clock Sunday morning. And finally today, our good deed of the day, in the right place, at the right time, was unable to do the right thing, a, a good Samaritan in Gary, Indiana, who uh, helped police find a uh, injured woman after a, a car crash, Greg Zellers is that uh, good Samaritan. He says, you know, it's very difficult to see from the road. There was a police knew that there was a car accident. Um, one of the uh, individuals inside the car actually able to call 911 for help, but then their phone died. So police knew roughly where they thought the victims were. But it's, you know, the middle of the night, basically pre-dark, uh, pre-dawn Monday morning. Um, so they. We're still struggling to figure out where this vehicle was. Greg Zellers saw the commotion side of the road. He pulled over to help. He said, it's very difficult to see. Um, and authorities credit Zeller for helping them find the victims and getting the medical attention. One of the two women in the car was actually able to get out through a broken back window. She made her way to the side of the road, and she flagged down Zellers. He's a mechanic who was on his way to work around 630 in the morning. She then was able to walk him to where the car was flipped over about 50 yards from the roadway. Zeller said it was upside down. He couldn't see the headlights or taillights, wasn't able to see anything. Um, not a lot of traffic on this road either. 
So Zeller said, you know, if he hadn't been there to see the woman flag him down, it might have been quite some time before emergency responders were able to get to that location. Zeller says, I came back, gave dispatchers a better idea where to look. Uh, they asked me to stay until they got here, so I did, but then I needed to get to work. So once he knew that these women were going to be okay and the uh, rescue crews were there, he took off and went to his job. The woman who was trapped in the car, so the steering wheel was pressed into her leg. She was unable to feel below her waist. She was airlifted to a local hospital, uh, but the woman who was able to escape the car did not suffer serious injuries, thankfully. Uh, no updates on the woman who was extricated from the vehicle, but um, uh, she was still alive and breathing when she got to the hospital, and hopefully she's going to be able to recover from her injuries. Zeller says he doesn't consider himself to be a hero. said he was just passing by at a time when he was able to help. said it's a, a good way to start the new year. He's absolutely right, but I would say that there were a lot of folks, maybe who would not drive by after seeing a woman try to flag them down on the side of the road, but you never know. Because we have seen a lot of folks in similar situations that don't want to get involved. They do just pass on by thinking, well, you know what, the person behind me, they'll stop. They'll, they'll, they'll take care of things. Um, Greg Zellers could have done that, right? Didn't want to be late for work. But instead, he uh, was in the right place at the right time, wasn't able to do the right thing to save a couple of lives on New Year's Day. Now, that is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program as always. I'm looking forward to being back with you again tomorrow. We're going to be talking with the uh, folks from Hold My Guns. Uh, Sarah Albrecht is going to join us. We're going to talk about this uh, fantastic organization, the uh, life-saving mission, and what they are hoping to accomplish in the uh, new year. Hope you'll stay tuned for that. In the meantime, be sure to check out BarionArms.com. We are keeping you up to date on all of the latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation. If you like what you see, I'd also encourage you to become a VIP or VIP Gold member. Not only will you get exclusive content available only to our VIP and VIP Gold subscribers, but you're going to get that warm, fuzzy feeling of knowing you're supporting the independent pro-Second Amendment journalism that we're doing at Barion Arms. And that feels good as well. All right. Enjoy the rest of your 2A Tuesday. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Until then, be well. Be safe and be free.